1971, a mysterious man bought a last-minute flight ticket at the U.S. airport. During the flight, he warned the crew that he had a bomb in his suitcase. If they didn't give him the ransom he demanded, he would blow up the plane. Mid-flight, with the cash in his possession, he just opened the door and jumped. Today's case, I would talk about the mysterious passenger of Northwest Airlines, D.B. Cooper. Hello, everyone. I hope you are doing all right. I'm Fabio Carvalho, and this is the Mystery Archive Project. Follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now to receive notification whenever a new episode comes out. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. Now, let's have a good look in today's case. On the afternoon of November 24, 1971, a man named Dan Cooper went to a Northwest Airlines counter in Portland International Airport in Oregon, in the United States. He appeared to be 40 years old, 6 feet tall, he was wearing a black raincoat, a dark suit, moccasin shoes, a white collar shirt, a black tie, and a tie pin. At the box office, he said he would like to go to Seattle, Washington, and he was told the next available flight was about to leave in a few minutes. Cooper could get it in time. He got on the plane, a Boeing 727-100, and sat in chair 18C. There, he called a stewardess and ordered a whiskey and soda. The total time flight would be just... 30 minutes. At half 2 p.m., the plane took off with less than half the seats taken. In the air, Cooper reached out to another stewardess, Florence Schaffner, who when was close to him, he handed her a note. Without reading the paper, she put it in her pocket, thinking he was just another passenger giving her his phone number. When Cooper saw Florence putting the note away, he called her again and whispered in her ear, I think you better read that note. I'm carrying a bomb with me. Florence immediately opened the paper and read what was written. I have a bomb in my briefcase. I will use it if necessary. I want you to sit beside me. You are being hijacked. She obeyed the passenger's order, Cooper opened the briefcase, and Florence could see eight cylinders attached to strings along with a large cylindrical battery. Cooper said as soon as they arrived in Seattle, he wanted a fuel truck to be available to refill the aircraft. He also wanted four parachutes, two primary and two reserve, and also a briefcase with $200,000. Florence relayed Cooper's instructions to the cockpit. Pilot William Scott called air traffic control at Seattle International Airport, who in turn informed local and federal authorities. Donald Nairup, president of Northwest, 
authorized the payment and ordered all employees to cooperate with the hijacker, but as the flight time was short, he needed more time to get what Cooper demanded. To explain about the delay of landing to the other passengers, pilot William told them he didn't get authorization to land, so he needed to fly over the area for few more minutes until he could be authorized. However, this took almost two hours and the passengers found it very strange. At the same time, Cooper ordered more drinks, paid for extra meals for all the passengers and gave tips to the crew. They described him as calm, polite and pleasant. He was always well behaved, unlike to stereotypes associated with the air hijacks of the time. He was confident and thoughtful at all time. FBI agents collected the money from several Seattle-area banks, $10,020 bills. All banknotes had the serial numbers copied. At 5.25 p.m., Cooper was informed that his requirements had been met, and at 20.06 p.m., the aircraft landed at Seattle Airport. He instructed pilot William Scott to go to an isolated area and asked him to turn off all the lights in the passenger's cabin to avoid would-be snipers. Cooper received a backpack with the money and four parachutes. Once the delivery was complete, he allowed all the passengers, stewardess Florence and the senior flight attendant Alice Hancock to exit the aircraft. Only a stewardess called Tina Muklo, the pilot William Scott, and the co-pilot William Ratachak remained on the plane. After the passengers left and while the aircraft was being refueled, Cooper spoke with the co-pilot saying they needed to fly to Mexico City with a maximum altitude of 3,000 meters and without stalling. During the entire flight, they should leave the landing gear engaged, the flaps lowered by 15 degrees and keep the passenger's cabin completely depressurized. Co-pilot William answered that with that type of airplane, they were limited to traveling maximum 1,500 kilometers, so they had to stop in another airport to refuel again. After talking, they decided the new stop would be at the airport in Reno, Nevada. At 7.40 p.m., the plane took off. Cooper told Tina to join the rest of the crew in the pilot cabin and stay there with the door closed. The plane landed at 10.15 p.m. at Reno Airport for refueling and then they realized that the back door was opened and the ladder was down. Cooper had jumped out of the airplane in a wooded area with his parachutes and the money. FBI agents and state law enforcement officers boarded the aircraft to pick up any clues, but they just found the black tie with Cooper's pin and two of the four parachutes. The years passed and the notes did not appear circulating in the market, nor were any clues of Dan Cooper found. 
evidence indicated that he had knowledge of flight techniques and aircraft operations, which led investigators to believe that he was an Air Force veteran with experience in skydiving. There is a theory that he could be a Canadian or American military officer that was stationed in Europe because the name Dan Cooper was the name of a Belgian comic book which appeared in the 50s that talked about a Canadian pilot. The comic had never been published in the USA, but it was well known in Europe and Canada, so it was likely that the passenger's name was an alias. A little more than six years after the kidnapping, in February 78, a hunter found near a small forest road on the route of the flight, an instruction manual on how to lower the ladder of a Boeing 727. In 1980, an 8-year-old boy, camping on vacation with his family, found three bundles of money half-buried on the bank of a river. Two packages had $120 bills and a third had 90 bills. Although they were quite worn, the FBI confirmed that they were part of the package of bills given to Dan Cooper in 1971. The fact that the bills were hiding shattered the belief that Cooper had died after the jump. The main question was, where was the body? Although the name used to buy the ticket was Dan Cooper, probably using a fake identification, the media started calling the criminal D.B. Cooper. This was due to the fact that a reporter, in his haste to meet an editing deadline, made a type error. This typo was replicated by several other newspapers and magazines, and the nickname D.B. Cooper has been marked in history. This case led to the implementation of a new safety device on Boeing 727s, where a new lock prevents the front and rear ladders from being lowered during the flight. D.B. Cooper has been cited in several TV series like Twin Peaks, The Blacklist, Prison Break, and Numbers, but the most interesting was a movie released in 1981 that basically has this whole story told, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper. Between 1971 and 2015, the FBI investigated more than a thousand suspects. All of them, however, had some kind of inconsistency with the crime. In the early 2000s, with a better technology for DNA analysis, the FBI revealed that they had found traces of DNA on the tie, but the genetic material was already weak, and that ended up being inconclusive. In 2016, the FBI officially closed the investigations into the case. Some of the most senior investigators believe Cooper died after jumping out of the plane. The problem is that, so far, nobody or pieces of the parachute have been found. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, 
Just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Hey, você se interessa por crimes reais, serial killers, coisas macabras e tem um senso de humor um tanto quanto sórdido? Se sim, você não está sozinho. Se você precisa de um lugar recheado de pessoas como você... Venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca, porque afinal de contas é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos. Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal.